Howdy, y'all. Welcome to Components. I'm Ren, product marketer at Hereto and your podcast MC. I'm Patrick, CEO here at Hereto. And I'm Jared, lead solutions consultant. Thanks for joining us on our weekly conversation about componentized and structured content. Hope you enjoy this 15 or so minutes of fun talking about everything from data to innovations in AI. All right, let's get into it. Welcome back to the Content Components Podcast, brought to you by Hereto. In this week's episode, Patrick and Naj just couldn't get enough of each other, so they're at it again to dive deeper into the composable future. Let's get to it. Cool. All right. Okay, cool. Well, let's actually do something that's productive. How about that? What I really wanted to dig in on, like after we talked last time, the thing that I left thinking, you know, what we didn't go deep enough on was composability. Um, and like the composable future. And I think that this concept of composability, while it's it's a little bit of something that I'm going to say is not new, but nicely repackaged, it, I think it's also really, it's fascinating and potentially really disruptive. So maybe the place to start here is to just, you know, what we always do, which is like, let's do the what is, right? So, um, I mean, I can do the wiki version, but um, uh, why don't you start with, your perspective on uh, what composability is. So the the term that I think is dear to my heart for composability is is mock. I don't uh, I don't know if you heard the mo- about the mock alliance. No, I haven't heard about this at all. This is I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. Bring so it the on. mock alliance. All right. So the mock alliance, besides having probably the coolest name in the web alliance industry, um, is uh, it's like. Um, What's the equivalent? It's like schema.org a little bit. It's kind of a it's a bunch of companies coming together, uh, like-minded technology tools who have come together and set certain design standards for uh, for application design uh, for the well, I don't not necessarily for the enterprise space, just in general. And it's if you're going to be composable, they set out some guidelines of what. What do you have to do to be a composable system, to participate in composable architectures? And so MOC stands for microservices, APIs, cloud native, and headless. Actually setting out particular principles like what you have to be a microservice. So each each of your capabilities has to be packaged um, so that it can be individually scaled and managed. And it has to be documented with, you know, you have to know what the inputs and outputs are. I'm getting this, by the way, from a blog post by Sana Remiki. Who is uh, from? Uh, uh, who is going to be speaking at the Omnichannel X mm. conference this year? And uh, yeah, she is uh, an amazing woman, and she's so she's written a blog post on this that was on CMS Wire. So I'm kind of paraphrasing her definitions. Uh, so an API, I think you and most of the listeners know what that is. Um, you, you know, you have to document some way to get stuff in and out of your application, um, so that you can avoid custom connectors. And then cloud native, so that people or machines can access this thing from anywhere using standard authentication mechanisms. And then headless, so that it's not tied to any particular channel, format, presentation framework, etc. And so if you do all four things in the mock architecture, then uh, you're ready to play ball in a composable scenario so that you can be used for as little or as much as your tool is useful for, and you can play nice 
with other uh, applications in the enterprise ecosystem. So I think the fact that there's that there even is even such a thing as the mock alliance and that companies are signing up to get certified that they are you know API first that they are fully fully headless that they have that they have a microservices architecture and a proper do, properly documented API the fact that companies are stepping up to say yeah this is this is something we want to be uh, labeled as we want to we want people to know that we've built our application in this way with these requirements in mind that really I think is a good sign and I think more companies will go in that direction whether they actually join the muck alliance or whether they get mock certified or not that is the way of the future and that it's it's that's what's going to allow composability <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um there's a lot in there to unpack and I think I agree with basically everything you said um I want to I want to step back and so we didn't really do the I think I think the one thing we we missed there is like the like 101 version of composable right it's like let's let's step back okay. and like do like the the simplest and I'll do it I think it's pretty easy right and then you can correct me um, cuz I'm sure you have some like things to add or you know fix in my my version of this basically composable and one of the things I want to say that I think is important to start here is composable isn't just an online thing um and um, like physical goods can be composable. So a lot of manufacturing is looking to go towards uh, composable manufacturing practices as well. But the general idea for compo something being composable is that you're creating um, isolated units of functionality that can be strung together using APIs and that, they're, that each unit of functionality um, is completely self-contained. If you want to get nerdy about it, uh, there's also like some aspects of like state that come into play when you're, when you're talking about composability. So, you know, so the simplest things from a composable perspective are stateless, um, as in like, you don't have to establish or remember, um, a usage state, um, or an application state, uh, in order to interact with it. Um, I think that, but I think that the idea that all composable systems, be they, you know, physical real world or, um, online systems uh, are going to be stateless doesn't make a ton of sense because I mean like you just can't always get to where you need to go um, using a purely stateless system um, but they're obviously they're easier if they're stateless um, so state is one of the things that people often often start to talk about when they're talking about composability um, so that's it it's just like picture a box and that box has like an input and an output you could have more than one input and more than one output but they're really well defined um, and you can plug the box into different things. That's kind of, that's kind of composable, right? Yeah. Um, I'm, so I'm not going to correct you. I'm going to, but I'm going to jump back. So you started with the idea of physical things were composable and I've seen, I've seen that like there's a lot of all over industry. There's this push to kind of make more modular systems. I, I, the ones that the examples that are coming to my mind are all in yeah. construction where there's everyone, everyone is trying to make these modular ways to really just kind of Lego together a building um, or a house or whatever structure you need from as simple components and, and as least the least number of custom components possible. And, you know, like, like the Ikea kitchen approach yeah. to manufacturing mm -hmm. everything or the Ikea approach, frankly, over manufacturing. And like, how can we, how can we treat all of our manufactured components as, um, as, uh, as, you know, it's parallel to a microservice and an API and software. But the idea, it's it's totally modular um, and allows you to design flexibly 
and scale your production processes because you can manufacture these raw components and then you have a lot of flexibility in the design and implementation. Uh, so when you say composable, is that what you meant for the, the, the like the physical world or? Yeah, I think that that's, so it's the ability to reassemble components into uh, different end products or different end services, right? Like that's what it really comes down to is it's the idea that we should be able to compose a new piece of value, be that physical or virtual, um, from a smaller set of things which already exist. And so like in the physical world, I'll give you an example that um, I love. So do you remember like 15, 20 years ago, if you bought a drill, that drill would have a cord um, or it would have its own custom battery pack and, you know, whatever it might be like, you know, it would be like set up in such a way where like that drill was that drill. Um, but today, if you go and you buy a drill, what you do is you get a drill and you get this battery pack that will go into a vacuum cleaner and into a saw and into um, like a whole variety of different um like tools that you can buy from like Ryobi or one of the other tool vendors. Right. Um, and what you, what you've got now is, is like, you have this, these like pieces you can put together to accomplish different things. And like, that's, they're exchangeable. And like this battery is kind of, it's, you know, it's got an API, um, which is the, uh, the specific way to connect to this battery. Um, so the battery becomes a composable piece of, of infrastructure that you can share across a number of different, um, a number of different like implementations. Yeah, I, I think that there's lots of little examples that we would have to go deep into the kind of electro nerdy area. But the one that I think is obvious that any consumer can notice is that just about everything is compatible with your phone charger these days. You know, er everything wants to, everything that has a charging ability is going to be trying to use uh, whatever the most popular USB terminal is on phones. So, um, it just creates a flexibility with cables and chargers, which which really helps. And so that's on the outside, so we can see it. But I I, I know that the same thing is happening on the inside, where uh, like the 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 gyroscopes that are that help GPS and, and phones work are being used in you know uh, virtual reality handsets and gaming controllers and other products. Anything that kind of has to know where it is in space, um, uh, that that has to have a sense of motion. Uh, they're using these same gyroscopes and sensors that you're that you were originally developed for phones, but then they're just kind of repackaging them, and you don't know that from the outside. It just kind of works. Right. And the thing that's happening inside there, in order to make that into what it is, is that they are standardizing the way that you clip a gyroscope in, or they're standardizing the way that you add a um, a USB C charger into your headset or into your computer or into your phone. Um, so what you're doing is it's the yeah. same thing as like setting up APIs um, that enables the composability of uh, information systems, you know, the ability to clip these different things together. So, yeah, bo both physically right, and exactly. software, because I'm, I'm sure that they're this, this, the way that you communicate with them is going to be the same, whether you're using it in a, in a game controller or a phone or, or. And that's else. the key word right there. So that word communicate, right? So. The thing that enables composability is standardization and communication because like any electronic device like this headset i'm wearing right now is a uh, a composition of smaller components that all talk to each other right like there's a microphone and it's got a protocol for um 
talking to this, like, I don't really know what this is. It's like a preamp or something, but like the little box that sits on my desk that controls that, um, you know, those it's, that's how these things are. They're systems of components that, uh, talk to each other. And as you standardize those things, this, the ways they talk to each other, you get to the ability to compose different iterations of, you know, products or value or whatever into different, um, situations more efficiently. And I think like that, that's the fundamental, that's the fundamental implication of composability. It's the ability to create higher order value systems more effectively from componentized, um, you know, you know, sub systems, I guess. Yeah, I can give another, I can give two more examples, which I think are, are more or less relatable. I, and I believe, and this is, so this is my statement about the future. I think that tech is because of the internet of things mm -hmm. maybe, or because just of simply scale and efficiencies of scale, the tech is having its own kind of industrial revolution within itself. So uh, the industrial revolution exploded with the which the create of the create the creation of the of the steam engine, um, and rail. You know the the when rail uh, first you know when we first created engines, the ability to kind of move stuff with a fire, um, they weren't immediately standardized, obviously. But because rail standardized so quickly and so universally, uh, then you know you know you knew you could take your train on any tracks. And that's basically the, the, the same idea here. Um, you have to, you know, the couplers, the, the track sizes, the wheels, the all sorts of different things in, in that industry were standardized really early on. And that allowed that industry to scale and to power a revolution. And what's happening with the internet of, with tech is that, you know, we had all this innovation really, really fast coming from all over the world. And compatibility at the beginning was seen as the enemy because you wanted people to buy everything from your mm -hmm. ecosystem. Um, and Apple is still kind of on the fence about this. <laughs> you think they're on the fence? Uh, they're, <laughs> well, they're, you know, they're, at least they do Bluetooth. Oh, but well, the, uh, they I'm sorry, Apple. I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> <laughs> I think I can see a red dot on your forehead. Um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, the, they, 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 you know, they're a great example how they kind of, keep deciding that they can set the standards. They're one of the old legacy brands that decides, uh, you know, we're so big, we can we can have our cables being compatible with everybody else's. But the rest of the planet is trying as much as they can to stop with these stupid adapters and, and, and making it complex for your devices to work together. So the, and the European Union, I don't know if you heard about this in, in North America, but the European Union is about to go toe-to-toe um, -to -toe with Apple saying that they have to start using the same chargers as everybody else, uh, because it's just not fair to the consumer to keep uh, making do, doing these proprietary connections. Uh, the other example I have in mind is, is I do a lot of uh, my you know, my family and friends do a lot of uh, more let's say prosumer up to pro level audio, and like if you walk into a studio, every single thing in there only collect, connects in like one of three ways. Like that, you've got mini jack rca xlr yep that's it um the and so the if there if you want to participate in this in the entire ecosystem at any level from like me as a hobbyist to the stu like the studios that the you know madonna or um 
uh, I cannot even think of an artist more recent than Madonna. <laughs> Justin Timberlake. That's not much better. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. <laughs> but it's a little better. It's it's a I little. I don't know better. why that came to my mind. <laughs> yeah. So Which I, I probably should be embarrassed for that example. Yeah, we are showing our age in a big way here. Um, so yeah, the, the professional level studio is the same thing uh, all the way up. The guitar that I plug in is uses the exact same concepts and components that the guitar that um, you know a, a top level recording artist will use, and that allows everybody to play together because uh, you don't have time for that if you're on the road. The thing breaks, you need to be able to go to a local shop, throw it in, get going again, and this ability to keep the overall machine running, uh, mixing and matching components is is how these um, industries are able to be flexible and scale and dynamic and agile. And now it's finally coming to town. And so like now, why am I so interested in, you know, talking about this on this show? Um, I mean, obviously I think that like, you know, anybody could take this guess, but the thing is that all of these little components that people are building that are the basis of um, composability, they also need to have interoperability in their content. They also need to be able to clip together their content and deliver them as larger systems. So let's go talk about the train example. And I like this one because um, I actually know how some of this stuff works because I've worked with some organizations in the train industry. I should train industry, the railway industry. <laughs> Like, like I'm explaining this to my son. I would, in that case, I probably would say the train industry. Um, so, um, I know rail and train. Rail, yeah, there you go. Um, so I know that in the railway industry, they have to build these massive manuals for a train. You know, they produce a train, and that ha they have to document everything that's on this train. But trains aren't like you don't go to like a train dealership and buy a train. That's not how it works. Um, the um, <laughs> What you do is you you order a train to a set of specifications, which can change pretty frequently. Um, I would, you know, dare to say every single time you order a train or a set of trains and everything from the seats to the, you know, the little, the like little bendy thing that connects to the, the electrical wires that go above it. Like, to the connectors that connect the trains together to like all this stuff. It's all variable. Like it can be different based on different um, situations, different specifications, different wants, different costs, like et cetera, et cetera. Right. But you still have to put together a manual that describes the maintenance of the whole train because at the end of the day, like the person who is going to maintain this train who's going to swap out parts, who's going to service parts, who's going to whatever doesn't care where all of these things came from. They care that they can service the train. Like that's what it comes down to. And I think that, you know, this is done with varying levels of, you know, perf you know, I would say efficiency. Um, but at the end of the day, like you do have to produce that as a result. So it's a thing that exists in like a very specific world, like, you know, something like as large as a train, but it's coming to so many other places, so many other parts of the world where as we're building information systems, that are going to start um, being rolled up into larger um, ecosystems that need to be maintained and to be used and people to be educated on them, the more interoperable the content is that um, describes these systems and allows us to work on them, the more effective the systems are going to be themselves. And at some point, it's going to become a requirement. 
looking forward to Omnichannel. Uh, I want to give us 30 seconds on what that is, when it is, and how we get there. Omnichannel X Conference uh, will have myself and Patrick, um, speakers from, from around the world, all talking online this June 13th to 16th. That's omnichannelx.digital. No dash, no space. Um, you can find out all about it. We're going to be doing some some raffles with uh, with Hereto to give away some free tickets. Uh, this is our fourth year, and we are super excited. We hope to see you all there.